Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. It's also printed in your worship guide on page 11. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. How wonderful to remember that though the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but we can be sure that the word of our God will stand forever. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. As we begin, I want to thank our brother Ron Ziegler for this book. Uh, he gave me, had at, at Sunday School, The King's Heart by T.M. Moore. It's very helpful. Some of the principles I'll share with you today come uh, from this, The King's Heart, The Kingdom of God, and Civil Government. This passage Rebecca has read for us may raise many questions in our minds. One of the main ones may be, are there any exceptions to this command to be subject to the governing authorities? And if so, what are they? When is it okay? Or when is it required? When is it right to disobey the governing authorities? As we think about that today, uh, I want us to remember the context of where we're at in Romans. Paul is helping us learn to live as Christian citizens. How in view of God's great mercies, remember God made us alive when we were dead. We were once enemies of God. We were dead in sin, but now we are alive to God, united in Jesus Christ, made beloved children of God, only because Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, bore the wrath of God in our place. So in view of these mercies of God to us in Christ, we are to offer our very bodies, our lives, as a living sacrifice to God. That's the context of where we're at in Romans. How do we live lives of gratitude to God for his grace to us in Christ that has saved us from our sin and removed all of our guilt? So last week, we looked at the role of the governing authorities from this passage, the responsibilities that they have before God. And we saw that Paul says governing authorities are God's servants for your good. 
and they have a duty. They are, they are responsible to fulfill their duties for the good of the people that God has placed over them in three ways. They are to be a terror to bad conduct. They are to be an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And they are to collect taxes in order to establish and maintain order. Two weeks ago, we began with a command in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And we saw that our lives of gratitude for the grace of Jesus that has cleansed us from our guilt are to be marked to be known for a willing submission that includes obedience to the governing authorities that God has appointed in our lives. That's the, the norm, the default. But in rendering this obedience to the governing authorities, we bear witness, not ultimately to their authority. The very reason we submit to the civil government is because we have bowed the knee to King Jesus and his authority. Now, you may remember if you were here two weeks ago in that sermon, I shared four areas of personal conviction in my own life. Speeding, parking, permits, and jaywalking. And that was simply four examples of outward fruit in my life, which you may or may not relate to. And the specific actions themselves were not so much the point, but the real issue is the heart. The real issue, as I reflected on that, and the Holy Spirit convicted me was, I was not offering my body as a living sacrifice, but instead I was exalting myself as king, living as if I was the supreme ultimate authority, that I can do whatever I want. And so the main question I believe we face in this passage is this, who is the ultimate authority in your life? Or who will be king. Remember we shared that? That's one of the, the great children's tr tracks. Ask that question. Who will be king? And the adult version is this one. Two ways to live. It helps us understand and ask those questions. I recently listened to a sermon on the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. But that's, that commandment is not limited to only parent-child relationships, but to all authorities. And as the pastor began that sermon, he mentioned a recent study that had been done. People had been asked how they view, how they determine authority in their lives. And the question was asked, who is an authority in your life? And one man answered like this, me and anyone else to whom I give authority. Is that how it works? Or maybe a better question is, is that how you live? You know, I think a lot of people might not actually say that. But that's the attitude of our hearts. It's how we actually live. And I think that log is pretty big in my own eye. I often live as if I'm the authority and do whatever I want. And when I do that, it's not just that I might be guilty of violating Romans 13. It's not just that I might be breaking the law. I might be speeding. I'm not obeying Romans 12. I'm not loving and living for King Jesus. And so in this passage, Paul commands us, pay to all what is owed to them. And it brings to mind those words of Jesus, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things 
that are God's. So I want to begin again by asking, what do we owe God? Because this understanding is foundational to knowing what we owe the governing authorities and to addressing the exceptions. Beloved, we must always obey God. And there are times when our obedience, our allegiance to God requires disobedience to the governing authorities. So whether we are obedient or subject to the governing authorities or whether we take an exception and we engage in civil disobedience, the heart, the foundation from which those opposite outward actions flow is the same. It is obedience to our highest authority, King Jesus. So again, let's start there. Pay to all what is owed to them. So start by paying to God what is owed to God. God is your creator. He's your king. He's your judge. And for some of you, he is also your savior, your loving heavenly father. As Steve mentioned, you owe to him your very life to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You owe to God obedience, worship, praise, thanksgiving, fear, reverence, honor. In Jeremiah chapter 10, the prophet Jeremiah responds to the Lord's warning because his people are surrounded by nations. They're surrounded by people who worship idols, who pay or give to idols what is owed to God alone. And so the Lord warns his people about this. And this is Jeremiah's response. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you? O king of the nations, this is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. And then he says, they, these so-called wise leaders, they're all senseless and foolish. Why? Because they worship idols. Because they pay to idols what is owed to God alone. And Jeremiah says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God the eternal king. David in 1 Chronicles 29 exhorts the gathered assembly of the people of God to support his son Solomon in the building of the temple. The temple will be the place where God, the king, dwells with his people. And David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. And he says this, praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And then he prays, give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to obey your commands. We owe to God thanksgiving and praise and obedience. And the first order of obedience that we owe to God is repentance and faith. To confess to our creator, our king, and our judge, we have not obeyed you. We have not trusted you. Our disobedience, which the Bible calls sin, deserves justice. It deserves punishment. 
and God and his great mercy, under no obligation to do so, but in his great mercy, he gave his son to pay this punishment. And so now he calls you to respond by giving up your claim to the throne of your life. Stop trying to be king. Acknowledge that God is king and also give up your attempts at atonement, at self-salvation, trying to make up for all your failures, all your disobedience, all your sin. And instead, you simply, with open hands, receive God's free gift of forgiveness and salvation by trusting and the life and death and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who he is. God himself come in the flesh. What he did, he lived a life of perfect obedience. He died in your place on the cross. He rose in victory over sin and death and the devil. And he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he now reigns over all. Hallelujah. So repent and believe the good news. Now if you obey this foundational command, it reveals what? That God himself, the creator, has made you alive when you were dead. And now, in view of his mercy, you continue a life of obedience as you offer your very body as a living sacrifice to God. Beloved, you will never live as a good Christian citizen. You will never know how or when to obey the governing authorities and when not to if you do not first give to God what is owed to him. Worship, praise, thanksgiving, fear, obedience. Our understanding of Romans 13, our obedience to Romans 13, our ability to live as Christian citizens in this world flows from this foundation. We must first pay to God what is owed to him. Have you done that? Are you doing that today? Is that your aim, your joy, your delight, every moment of every day of your life? Beloved, God is the supreme authority in your life. May we give him his due. So before we ever start to think about the exceptions to this command in verse 1, we must start by paying God what is owed to him. Repentance, faith, obedience, worship, praise, thanksgiving, fear. And then also pay to the governing authorities what is due to them, which at times requires that you disobey them in order to obey and honor God. How do we know when to do that? Well, here's the clear exception. If the governing authorities command what God forbids or forbid what God commands, you must not submit. You must not obey them. Why? Instead, you obey the higher authority. You obey God himself. Now, having said that, let me also say this. If you are going to resist the governing authorities that God himself has placed in your life, you better be 100% certain that you are right to do so. And it better be only because you are obeying God in that resistance, not just because you don't like the speed limit. 
You're obeying God in that resistance. You're seeking to honor and glorify God as your higher ultimate authority. Now, beloved, that can be done. It has been done in the past. It will need to be done in the future. Let's look at some clear examples of this in God's word. And then we'll learn some principles to help us know these exceptions. So first of all, the Hebrew midwives. Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, if they're giving birth to a son, you shall kill him. So that's the law. That's the instructions they're given by the governing authorities in their lives. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So God, the scriptures say, so God dwelt well with the midwives And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So why did these midwives defy Pharaoh's authority? Because they feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. So here's the first principle when considering when not to obey governing authorities. Whenever government at any level and by any means tries to require disobedience to God's law, that government has overstepped its bounds, making itself God instead of the God who ordained it. And such a government must not be obeyed regarding the specific point at issue. This is the principle of whom will we fear? Whom will we fear in a way that controls our lives? So today, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Elena, is a labor and delivery nurse. She's studying to be a midwife. So if someday it comes when she's told to perform or to help with an abortion, if she is to honor God and pay to him what is owed to him, she must refuse. It's easier for me to say that than for her to do that. Because if she does that, she could lose her job. She could potentially lose her license. And all those hard years of studying and all those thousands upon thousands of dollars invested in that could be lost in a moment. Those of you in the medical field, in the counseling field, you may already be facing these kinds of decisions. The day could come, or maybe it already has, when you could lose your job for obeying God. And beloved, if that happens, we, the church, must support our brothers and sisters in Christ in those times and be be prepared to support them in any way necessary, including financially. So there's a first example. Second, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You all know their real names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar commands the people to worship the golden image that he set up. If you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah do not bow down. And the king, the most powerful man in their lives, is filled with rage. And he confronts them. He gives them another chance. Maybe you didn't hear me right the first time. So now, if you fall down and worship my image, all's going to be well and good. But if you don't worship, you're going to be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? In other words, if you don't bow, you're going to face an immediate, painful death. And they answer, they defy the king. O king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I can't wait to meet these men. 
if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Why? Because they're never in his hand. They're in, the hands of, they're in the hands of Almighty King Jesus. But if not, be it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So here's the second principle. When not to be subject to the governing authorities. Whenever civil government tries to compel loyalty to itself, even above loyalty to God, it must be resisted. This is the question of whom will we worship? We're to worship God alone. Third example, Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. King Darius makes a law. No one can pray to anyone other than him for 30 days. If you do, you're going to be cast into a den of lions. When Daniel, when Daniel knew this law was in effect, he did what he always did. He went home, went up into the upper chamber. His window opened towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and he gave thanks to God. It was a public act of putting God before the king's decree. It's Daniel saying, I take my marching orders about spiritual matters from a higher authority than you, King Darius. Daniel would not be controlled by the governing authorities telling him who he could pray to, how or when he could worship God. So the third principle for when it's right for Christians to not obey governing authorities is whenever the governing authorities try to control the practice of religion in a way that's contrary to what God has commanded, then Christians must disobey. So if the day comes and the governing authority tries to tell me what I can or cannot preach, or what you can or cannot say in a counseling session, we must not obey them. Peter and the apostles, Acts 4 and 5. The authorities tell Peter and John. Can you imagine? Peter and John. Now they must not have known. You who've seen Jesus die and, and rise again. Don't talk about that. <laughs> Can you imagine? They tell him, don't speak at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answer them. Whether it is right in the sight of God. See, that's what matters. The authority of the sight of God. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. Who are we going to listen to? Is it right to listen to you rather than God? You must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so the authorities threaten them. But then they let them go. Later, they go back and they arrest them. And they put them in prison. And an angel of the Lord comes in the night and opens the doors and sets them free. And says to them, go to the temple and preach the gospel. They obey. They go and preach the gospel. The authorities basically arrest them again, and they say to him, what's the deal? We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are. You filled Jerusalem with all your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answer, we must obey God rather than men. And you know what they did immediately after that? They preached the gospel to him. The God of our fathers, this is what they said. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. 
and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the, the authorities, they're enraged. They want to kill them. The apostles weren't in their hands. They're in the hands of God. Beloved, this was a matter of evangelism, of proclaiming Christ. And it was so important, it was so urgent, that it took precedence over obeying the government. So here's a fourth principle. Whenever the government in any way tries to obstruct the progress of the gospel or suppress the work of the church, it must not be obeyed. Now, in all of these examples, the Hebrew midwives, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Daniel, Peter, the apostles, God's people were willing to submit to the consequences of their civil disobedience. They were all willing to be put to death. And so here's an important lesson for us. Obedience to God trumps obedience to any other authority. Pay to God what is owed to him. And it is better to obey God and die than to an obedience to the governing authority, disobey God and live. That's easy to say from the pulpit right here. Are we willing to do that? Do we recognize that? It's better to obey God and die then, in obedience to governing authorities, disobey God and live. Now, that's not a choice that many of us, or perhaps any of us, have had to make yet. We don't normally, typically, face death, these kinds of decisions. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing these decisions every day, right now, in this world. You know of ones who have had to face that in the past, and who have been put to death. But it's not a, a, a choice we have to make often. But what we need to do is train ourselves so we're ready to make those kinds of decisions. So we must, be, we must become accustomed to obeying God above any and every other authority in our lives. When or if there's a conflict, no matter what the consequences are, we obey God and we trust him with the results. Now, in all four of those examples, God saved his people. It doesn't always happen, but he did and those he's able to for sure. Now, as we consider these examples, these principles, we must ask ourselves, are we willing to suffer the consequences? Are we prepared to do so? Are we prepared to support our brothers and sisters who may suffer? That's something for us to consider. Something else for us to think about. And all four of these examples that I've given you from the scriptures, the decision of whether to obey God or the governing authorities was pretty clear. You know, perhaps other than in Daniel's case, in Daniel's case, we could say he didn't have a specific command to pray three times a day in public in that way, but it was a clear contest of loyalties. Who truly is king, God, in his life? But what about when it's not so clear? Are there times when it is right to disobey the governing authorities, but it's not so clear that they are directly forbidding something that God commands or commanding something God forbids? And the answer is yes, there are. Whenever authorities overstep their bounds, a policeman comes to your home, and he demands to search your house without a warrant. 
That's overstepping his bounds. You do not have to comply. Whenever authorities are committing injustice, they must be resisted. Now, there's a proper way to do this, and in our context, a proper way. One pastor says there's three steps. Appeal, so you start with an appeal. You move on to a confrontation, and then, if necessary, you defy. So there are steps that we can take. But here's the take-home point in, this, in these areas. Back to the beginning. It all begins with paying to God what we owe to him. Fear him above all else. Our lives belong to him. And as we consider these areas that might not be as clear, we need great wisdom from God. We need great wisdom from his word. We need great wisdom from his people. And we need convictions and consciences that are grounded in the word of God. Not just our own desires, but in the word of God. And we need courage and a willingness to suffer. So let me give you one last example. Queen Esther. In the book of Esther, the king has commanded that all the Jews, all her people, women and children, young and old, were to be killed. Esther's the queen. And her uncle Mordecai asks her to go plead with the king to save the Jews. But it is against the law for Esther to approach the king unsolicited. Everybody knows this law, and everybody knows its penalty. Death, unless the king chooses to have mercy on you. So Esther says this to her uncle. Listen, I can't, if I, do, I can't do that. It's against the law. I could die. And Mordecai says, you might be in this position for such a time as this. For the very purpose of saving the Jews. And Esther, listening to the wisdom, the counsel of her uncle, listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, she says, okay, get all of the Jews to fast for three days. I'm not just jumping into this. Fast with me. Pray with me. Then I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And what does she say? If I perish, I perish. And what happens? The Jews are saved. Now think about this. Esther needed more guidance than just the general principle. If governing authorities command what God forbids or forbid what God commands, then don't obey. That's the general principle. But that doesn't directly apply to Esther's situation. The law that Esther broke did not command her to do something that God forbid. It didn't forbid her from doing something that God commanded. Also notice, she had no guarantee There's no guarantee that her disobedience would have made any difference, that it would be successful, that when she broke the law, what she really faced was she could have been put to death along with all the rest of the Jews. But she was willing to risk her own life. Why? Because there was so much at stake. She risked her own life in order to prevent a great injustice and in an attempt to appeal against an authority that had overstepped its bounds in a tyrannical way. And if you study the book of Esther, you'll see that her disobedience is part of the theme of the book, her her sacrificial faith when she said, if I perish, I perish. Esther needed wisdom. She needed guidance from others. She needed courage. She needed a willingness to suffer. 
So as we think about these matters, beloved, what is our responsibility to those who abuse their authority, those who overstep their jurisdiction? We must pay to them what is owed to them. In our constitutional republic, in our setting, government of the people, by the people, for the people, a government by laws rather than by kings, we owe it to the governing authorities to hold them accountable. After all, beloved, if they are pursuing a course of sin, where's that headed? Do we not want to save them from that judgment? To point them to repent? When we see injustice, when we see the abuse of power, when we see unlawful commands or orders, we have an obligation to speak out, to appeal, to confront, to defy if necessary. Now in our context, certainly we can pray. We can petition. We can vote for those authorities that we believe will fulfill their duties rightly. We can ourselves serve in those roles which some of you do, and we encourage more to do so. We can do all of those things to work to ensure that our governing authorities are fulfilling their callings to be servants of God for our good. And we spent three weeks on Romans 13, 1 through 7. We could spend three more just on trying to parse all of this out, all of these exceptions. We could do a whole uh, quarter of Sunday school class on this. This is the last planned sermon. But it's certainly not the last word. I know I have a lot more learning to do. And that's the beauty of the church. We can come together and study God's word together and we can learn together. So we invite ongoing discussions, ongoing questions that we might be sanctified by the truth of God's word in this area. But today I want to end by going back to the beginning. Pay to all what is owed to them. Beloved, God is our ultimate authority. This is good news for us. It's a blessing. God will never abuse his authority. He will always use it for good. And we, his people, were called to obey him. No exceptions. Thanks be to God that Jesus did that. So that you and I can be forgiven when we don't. But Jesus did not die only so that we could be forgiven. He died and he rose again so that having been forgiven, we might now walk in obedience to our creator, our king, our judge, our savior. And beloved, part of that obedience will lead us to be the very best citizens, which means we always seek justice and we always obey King Jesus, even if it means that we do not obey our governing authorities. May God give us the wisdom and the courage to do so whenever, wherever needed, for the honor and the glory of his name and for the good of all people. Amen. Amen. Amen.